Yeah, so as Chris has said throughout this series, we've been looking at the famous last words of Jesus. We've talked about words of forgiveness. We've talked about words of reassurance. And today we're talking about words of purpose. And if you feel like your life right now is a little mundane and you want to shake things up a bit or you're kind of asking some questions about what your next move in your life should be or you just, you just want a bit of hope today, today is for you. And we're going to discover together that the last words of Jesus, I really believe what Chris has just said, that the last words of Jesus, specifically the words of purpose that Jesus passed on to his followers, are game, they're game changers and they're life changers. And um, we're going to talk about that today. But Uh, Just if you don't know me, my name is Becky and I'm relatively new here. I have been on the staff team at Andover Baptist Church for uh, just over two months, I think. And um, uh, it's great if you are watching online, it's so good to get to connect with you as well today too. And um, the last words of of any leader, right? They set the direction for any followers who come after them, right? They kind of leave a legacy for what the followers that come on after them will will continue in. They'll, they'll set the tone for whatever they have set up. And so if you want to make sense of what it is to follow Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus and you, you really want clarity about what it is, what, what is it that I'm actually supposed to be doing? What is this Christian thing? Sometimes we get like in a little bit of a rut with it. Or if you are still figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus and you've got questions about that, then the last words of Jesus to his followers are a great first place to look because the last words of any follower set the direction for what it means. Let any leader, sorry, set the direction for what it means for a follower who comes after them. But Jesus was not unique in being a faith leader. He wasn't unique in being a faith leader who amassed followers. In fact, every faith leader in history has had some last words for their followers, which have set the direction for the faith movement, which has come after them. So the last words of Buddha were, behold, O monks, this is my last advice to you. All component things in this world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your salvation. It set the direction for what Buddhism would be. The last words of Muhammad were, I leave behind me two things, the Quran and my example, the Sunnah. And if you follow these, you will never go astray. Skip on. And all those who listen to me shall pass on my words to others and those to others again. Be my witness, O Allah, that I have conveyed your message to your people. The last words that Jesus' followers heard from Jesus before he died were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If those were the last words that Jesus' followers ever heard from their leader, it would have inspired faith in nobody, right? If those were the last words Jesus' followers have ever heard, what would have come after him? Nothing, right? The only reason that there are still Jesus followers today, the only reason that Jesus inspired a movement that would grow around the world and that would last for over 2,000 years is that the claim is these were not the last words that Jesus' followers heard because of the resurrection. Because three days after these words were spoken from that cross, not that cross, wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) Not that one. (laughs) If those were the last words that his followers had heard, only because three days later there was a resurrection, people saw Jesus again and heard words from him again that a movement of faith followed behind him. 
That is why the last words of Jesus are unique, because the last words of Jesus to his followers are not the last words before his death. He didn't just leave a, leg- he didn't leave a legacy on his deathbed. He didn't leave a legacy because he didn't leave. He came back, and people saw him alive again. And today we're going to jump into a story that's written by Matthew, who was one of the followers of Jesus, who wrote an eyewitness account of Jesus's ministry all the way up to his death, and then his subsequent resurrection, his being raised from the dead, and what he did next before he was taken back up to heaven. And I know that sounds crazy, but we're going to track through today as to why you might also Uh, begin to believe that that was true about Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, that he appeared to his disciples before he was taken back up to heaven. Stay with me if you think that sounds crazy. So Matthew picks up the story. Um, So Jesus has been executed. Uh, He has, uh, his disciples have mourned him. They've run away afraid and heartbroken that the movement is over. And then three days later, some women have gone to an empty tomb and been told that Jesus is no longer there. Then Jesus has appeared to these women and has said, I am going to go ahead to Galilee. Will you go and tell my disciples, that is the guys who have been following me around, will you go and tell them to meet me there? And this is where Matthew picks up the story, that these guys go off to a mountain in Galilee to meet with Jesus after his resurrection. So here we go. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Probably thinking they were pretty stupid, right? They're going on the words of a dead man. (laughs) Mary, who's witnessed this resurrection, has come to them and said, hey, you know Jesus, who died yesterday, two days ago, uh, he said, meet you. Like, tomorrow, can you go and meet him on this mountain? So they're all like, okay, they're going, but they feel pretty stupid that they're going to meet a dead man. When they saw him, they saw him. They saw somebody who they had witnessed die. They worshipped him. Of course they did. They worshipped him. But some doubted, naturally, as we all would. Firstly, because dead people don't come back to life. So you would doubt if you saw somebody in the flesh who you believe to be dead. But secondly, they doubted because there was something that was still left unresolved in their minds. You see, these guys who had begun to follow Jesus, they'd begun following him for a reason. And that's because they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, is what the Jewish people of those times would have called him. The one who was going to set things right in the world. And specifically, they believed that their nation, the Jewish nation, which was at the time under Roman rule, would be liberated from their Roman oppressors and set free by God's chosen person. And that when that would happen, God would come and take his rightful place as their only leader, as their only king. And they were waiting for somebody to do that. And they believed that Jesus was that person, that Jesus was the one who would come and liberate them from their Roman oppressors and set the world right. And they believed it because Jesus had announced to people that he was coming to introduce what he called the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the place where things will be as God wants them to be. But that was still unresolved. Rome was still on the throne. In fact, Jesus had been put to death by Rome three days earlier. So they had a question, and it's a question I think many of us have when we think about Jesus and what his role is supposed to be. In the world. And it's the question is this when are you going to make the world look as it should? 
That's the question they had for Jesus. And that was the thing that was still unresolved. Hey, Jesus, things are still not right here. We're still being oppressed by an, an authority that's not from God. And we have this question, don't we? When are you going to make the world look as it should? I um, moved house this week, and I don't know if you've ever done this when um, either you've been rearranging furniture or you've hung a picture frame on the wall, and you sort of stand back and you survey the room, and you're like, something isn't quite right. Like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but something's not quite right here. And I don't know if you ever look at the world around you and kind of get that same feeling, like something isn't quite right here, like the world... I feel like that suffering and that pain and that violence and that war that I've just heard about on the news, it just doesn't feel right. It feels like that's not how the world should be. And don't we all have this sense that there is a way that the world should be? Which is funny because it's never been that way, has it? It's never been totally peaceful. It's never been totally good. It's never been the fact that everybody has an equal share of you know, they have enough to eat and they have enough and they have shelter. But we have this sense that things should be different. And just as an aside, if you're not yet a believer, if you're still figuring out what you think about God, isn't that interesting that you have this idea that there's a way that the world should be, that there's some kind of purpose to existence, to this thing that we're all a part of? But the disciples had this question for Jesus, the question that I think you and, you and I often have. When are you going to make the world look as it should? And maybe for you, this question might even be a little more personal. When are you going to make my life look as it should, God? If, if you're there, how come I'm in this situation? How come my friend is hurting? How come I lost them and had to say goodbye to that person? When are you going to make my life look as it should? Show yourself to me. Make it better. <laughs> Change things. We all have questions like that. And, and often this question causes us to take matters into our own hands, doesn't it? It causes us to say, well, I'll sort it then. I'll, I'll take things on myself. I'll, I'll, I'll fix this. I'll fix my little corner of the world and make it better. Excuse me. So... Jesus understands that these are the questions that his disciples have, that his followers have, that they're still asking the question, how are you going to put the world right? And he uses his last words to these guys as a way of setting the stage for how God would transform the world. And the reason that Jesus' last words are worth paying attention to, and they are unique in all of history, is that they were not a conclusion. Jesus' last words to his followers were not a conclusion. They weren't a summary. They weren't a wrap-up. It wasn't just a case of leaving a legacy and then leaving. They introduced a promise and a purpose to the guys Jesus was talking to that day and to us and to the world. They introduced a promise and a purpose. And as we will see, they hinge on who we believe Jesus is. And if Jesus was just another spiritual leader, they're not worth following. If he was just another human spiritual leader, nothing else, they're not worth following. Let's explore these together then. So Jesus comes to them. He comes closer to them because they're seeing him from a distance and they can't quite believe what they're seeing. And he comes to them and he says, all authority 
on he- in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, who would be the one person who could say that? It's God, right? If such a God exists. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I'm God. He's making a claim only God can make. And when you come back to life after three days after predicting your own death and resurrection, you get to say things like that too. So So, we might struggle with this though. We might struggle with this word, authority, right? Because our experience of authority can often be negative. And culturally, we're kind of pushing back against this idea of our authority now because we've seen it be misused and abused and mishandled. So we may struggle with this and we might struggle with it also because it's like, well, if that was true, Jesus, when that thing happened to me, I don't know how I feel about your authority. If you were in charge when that happened, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But Jesus is saying, everything that claims authority in this world is answerable to me. Everyone who does it is answerable to me and they're accountable to me. Everybody, everything that claims authority in this world is answerable to me and accountable to me. But Jesus' next words would show us that he was not about to leverage his authority to take control of the world, to take the reins of the world. Jesus goes on and he says this, Therefore, and his disciples are expecting him to say, Yeah, go on. All authority has been given to you. Therefore, I'm about to take charge around here. I'm about to boot Rome off their throne. But that isn't what he says. He says, therefore, go. And they're like, who, us? Go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what they were called, disciples. Jesus' disciples were the guys who took their cue from him, who were learning from him, who trusted his authority, and who were following after him. I want you to go and make more like you who are becoming like me, Jesus says. Go and make disciples of all nations, everywhere, the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptism is this process of being identified with Jesus and putting everything else aside and and choosing to identify yourself with him and to show your allegiance to him. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teaching them, not coercing them, not forcing them, just teaching them. I just want you to teach them. If you're a teacher, you know you can't teach somebody who doesn't want to be taught. (laughs) So it's, it's not about forcing, it's not about imposing, it's just teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus makes a promise. It's like a statement of intent. It's a guarantee for his followers. Has it gone? Okay. (laughs) Keep going. Jesus makes this promise. And the promise is, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that phrase, the end of the age, it sounds to us a little bit vague. It sounds like just like, I'll always be with you. But to Jesus' followers, this phrase was not vague. This was specific. This was something tangible that Jesus had talked about before, before he'd died. The end of the age was this final moment in history when there would be an intervention of God. 
when God would fully and finally intervene in the world and set things right and make the world look as it should look, as he created it to look. And Jesus had talked a lot about it with his guys. And, and he'd used a picture to describe once God has intervened in the world, once he's set things right, once he's overthrown the authorities that have abused their power and oppressed others, God's going to set up a new way of being, a new way of living. And Jesus would use this imagery to help people make sense of what it would be like. And he would describe it like a banquet, like a feast, like a party. But it was an unusual banquet. It wasn't like the banquets that people were used to at the time. It was unusual for a few reasons. First was, it was unusual for its guest list. If you were throwing a party in the first century, you would invite the people who would bring the most sort of status to you, who'd make you look really good, who were wealthy, who could pay you back. You'd invite the people who can invite you back round so you can get what you've given to them, right? But on this guest list, at this banquet, the last people you would ever invite were going to be there. The homeless, the poor, people who couldn't give anything back, people who had mucked up so badly, people who nobody else would want to be seen with, people who had been overlooked and overshadowed, people who had been hurt, people who had been wronged. Those would be the people who God would invite first to be part of his, as Jesus called it, banquet, this metaphor. And it would be unusual because of the values that would be at play at this banquet. See, if you went to a banquet at the time of Jesus, you would want to be there to show off your status. You'd, wanna, you'd be the person interjecting over everybody else's stories and saying, oh, I've got a better story. You'd be the one sitting at the head of the table. You'd be the one bringing all to the attention on you. And you'd like maybe envy other people who had more status than you. But Jesus said that at this banquet, the best thing that you'll be able to be is a servant. But everyone will just want to serve one another. Everyone will just want to be like, oh, no, you, no, you, no, you. <laughs> you know, it'll be like a really British dinner party. No, it won't be. No, it won't be. It won't be. <laughs> it'll be much better than that. You know, that love will be the only currency there. That, that people will just want to outdo one another in doing good to one another. That people won't fight. People won't compare left to right and envy one another. That's what Jesus said it would be like. And Jesus said, the one thing that we really want to hear is that this banquet won't end, that there won't be any goodbyes, there won't be any more death, there won't be any more tears, or any of the things that cause us to feel loss or pain, that that is what God would one day set up. And Jesus said that this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's like when God is on the throne. That was the picture Jesus had given to his followers of what would be coming at the end of the age, something specific. And Jesus says, surely I will be with you, even to the end of the age. And that is Jesus promising, I'm going to be here setting this thing up. I have a role in where history is headed. It's in my hands. You can leave it with me. You know, I know you're worried about where the world is going, and aren't we all worried? <laughs> Don't we look at things and think, oh my gosh, where is the world going? And Jesus says, I've got a hand in where it's going, and it's going here. It's a promise from Jesus to their question, when are you going to make the world look as it should? Jesus gives them a promise. He says, one day, I will. I will make the world look as it should. Don't worry so much about the when, but know that it's not a, are you going to? 
Yes, I am. I'm going to make the world look as it should. I will do it. One day, I will. You can trust me. But then he gives them a purpose. But for now, I'm sending you. I am sending you to help others to trust in me, to trust in my authority over where history is headed, to trust that I am the way to the way that the world should look and the way that the world will look. Now, here's what the disciples learned that day. And here's what we have to understand about the way that God will transform the world and what Jesus revealed to them. That God's plan to transform the world comes through an invitation, not an imposition. That God did not come to seize control of the world through Jesus. That Jesus wasn't there to overthrow Rome and take control of everything that he was there to extend an invitation, one that he had extended to his followers already, and one that he wanted his followers to go and extend to the whole world when he said, go and make disciples, make more like you who trust me, who are building their lives on me. Here's the invitation that Jesus said, go and offer the world. Build your life on my authority. That's what it means to be a disciple. I want you to build your life on my authority. Trust in me. Take my cue on things. Obey my words on things. Trust me. That was the invitation that Jesus entrusted his disciples with. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to share that invitation with the world. That you don't have to trust in all the other things that promise that they're going to make things okay. But you can trust in me. And we know that Jesus' followers heard these words and did this because there is a historically evidenced explosion that happens in the first century of church planting and people going out and talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus' authority and writing letters about Jesus' authority and encouraging people to trust in Jesus. And we know we can see that in history, that that happened And it's almost impossible to explain why that happened if Jesus' followers didn't hear these words from him and weren't sent out with this purpose. And they took this as their purpose, to help others build their lives on Jesus' authority. And they lived like it was their purpose. They lived like Jesus was their authority. They began to live like that banquet we just talked about, right? They started to model their own lives after what would be, what the values would be at that banquet. They lived like it. They talked like Jesus was their authority. They talked about what Jesus said over what the emperor said, over what their friends said, over what their bosses said. They talked about what Jesus said. That's where they took their cue. They told others about what Jesus said. They invited like that was their purpose, like they wanted to help others build their lives on Jesus' authority. They invited other people to find out and they prioritised like that was their purpose. They accepted a cost when other things were going to get in the way of them building their authority on Jesus and helping and demonstrating to the world that Jesus was their authority and helping others build their lives on Jesus' authority. They sacrificed They sacrificed so that they could prioritize their purpose to help other people, to demonstrate to the world that Jesus is an authority worth building your life on and to teach others to do the same. And people joined in. 
because they came to trust. They saw the example of these guys who lived like it, who talked like it, who invited like it, who prioritized like it. And they came to trust in Jesus' authority as well. And they came because they were invited. They joined because they were invited. And nobody sent out open invitations in the first century until Jesus sent his followers out to do that. Nobody wanted the overlooked and the rejected. Nobody wanted, you know, like slaves. Slaves were invited to come and join this movement, right? First century slaves. Nobody invited slaves to be part of your movement. And they were the first to be invited. Women were the first to be invited. The poor were the first to be invited. People who had illnesses were the first to be invited. People who had always been undervalued. And they came because they'd never got an invitation anywhere before. So they came. It had been impossible for them to imagine that God was saving a seat in what he was doing in the world for people like them. So they came. For anybody who has decided that they want to build their life on Jesus's authority, this is our purpose, to demonstrate his authority in the world, to demonstrate the fact that he's an authority in our lives and to invite others to make him their authority too, to put their trust in him over and above all the other things that would claim our trust in this world. And Jesus said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to go and help others to build their lives on me, just as you have learned to do so, and show them what it means to live lives on my authority. Now, you might be thinking, this sounds pretty different from what I thought it was to be a Christian. If you're very new around here, and it sounds quite different from, I thought it was like go to church and like read your Bible and pray. And I didn't know about all this stuff about building your life on Jesus's authority. If, if that's you and you're still figuring it out, can I encourage you that this is the question to ask yourself? Who, who is Jesus really? Is he the guy who has all authority in heaven and on earth? And if so, can I trust his authority to build my life on? That's the question to ask yourself before you ask yourself, you know, do I want to be associated with other Christians or do I want to go to church? Or like, ask yourself that question first. It is the question to wrestle down if you want to figure out what life is about and what your purpose is. And if you have decided that Jesus' claim to authority is true and you've decided to build your life on that, then this is the task that Jesus has entrusted to you, the same task he gave to his guys that day. Go and make disciples. Make more like me who can trust in my authority. So when we think about how to do that, because that we all... If you have been in church for a long time, you kind of know that that's a thing that you've been asked to do, to go and make disciples. But we've got really no idea what that actually means or looks like. And typically, we have been taught maybe three responses, or we think about three responses to that challenge. Okay, well, I'll tell people about Jesus then. Now, the issue with this is sometimes people don't want to listen, and sometimes we're not very good at telling them. <laughs> you know, like sometimes we say really silly things, and also sometimes we don't want to speak and we're nervous and we don't know who to tell and we don't have relationships with people who we could effectively tell, right? Or we say, okay, well, I'll be a great Christian and I'll hope that somebody will know that it's because of Jesus. Now, the problem with this is, if you're anything like me, you're not always a great Christian. 
right? So what about when you're not? And what if they don't notice? What if they think you're just nice? And <laughs> I'll hope my church does it for me. We've all done that, haven't we? But what if they never come into contact with Andover Baptist Church? What if the person you care about, who you want to know more about Jesus, never sets foot in this building? So let me give you some suggestions of, of how we can be more effective in this. This purpose that Jesus has entrusted us with that changes everything and that the disciples took on. They were effective because they lived like it, because they talked like it, they prioritized like it, they invited like it. So we are most effective when we actually live like Jesus is our authority. When we actually live like Jesus is our authority, nobody else. And do you know what I think maybe the biggest way that we can do this at the moment in our country is that we don't get flapped and stressed out when everybody else gets stressed out about the state of things in our world. That, that we know that's not the authority that we've put our trust in, that we have put our trust in a different authority. But we actually live, and others can see we live like somebody else is in charge of us, that somebody else is the boss of us, that we don't call the shots in our lives anymore. That's an amazing example of what it means to put your trust in Jesus. What about that we talk about Jesus by name? That we're not vague about who we follow, that we don't shirk around the fact that we're a Christian, that we actually talk about Jesus by name. And you know why this is so important? Because other people need to know where to look. They're not psychic. They don't know. They don't know to look to Jesus for their like guide on who to be in life and what to do in life. And if you have discovered that, talk about him by name. Let other people know where to look. The next thing that we can do is invite somebody to discover more about Jesus with us. To invite them. Hey, do you want to come to church with me? Do you want, we're talking about something this week that I, like we've talked about before in our friendship. Do you want to come and figure out that with me? Uh, we're doing this alpha course soon at church. Do you want to come on it with me? Do you want to watch online? If you're watching online, hey, do you want to come around my house and watch with me? And that we prioritize this purpose. That when it comes to making decisions where we get to choose, am I going to make this purpose a priority in my life or am I going to put it on the back burner for a time? Listen, we will only be effective when we prioritize it. And that's so challenging and it's a challenge to me as much as it is a challenge to any of you. But when we prioritize this purpose, we are effective in helping others to build their life on Jesus' authority. And we could actually make a difference. Maybe I'm this, I think in my life sometimes I give up on the idea that I'll ever be able to see somebody I know come to Jesus because of anything I did. Don't ever give up on that. Don't ever give up on that. Now, um, just quickly, and I know I'm probably running over. <laughs> So just quickly, um, if you're looking for a way into this, and this is really difficult, some of this stuff, especially when talking about Jesus by name, if you've got relationships with people and friendships with people who aren't followers of Jesus and you want a way into this, one of the best ways I've heard of this, because it's really hard if you have a pre-existing relationship, is something that Rick Warren says, and uh, he's a pastor in the US, and he says, what about starting with an apology? And because you're British, this will work as well, really well. I'm sorry, we've known each other for a while and I haven't ever invited you to come to church with me. And it's really important to me. Or, I'm sorry, we've known each other for a while and I haven't been honest 
about who I look to in my life. Or, I'm sorry, we've known each other for a while, and I haven't ever asked you what you believe about Jesus. It's such a good way in, don't you think? Yeah. (laughs) So it's so important because living under our own authority is so painful, isn't it? It's so hard when we just look to ourselves. It's important because Jesus gave us this purpose. I'm sending you out to let other people know that they can build on my authority, that I'm the person to trust for where history is going. It's important because this is how God is choosing to transform the world, not through an imposition, but through an invitation. Trust in me, build your life on me, and I'll do the rest. Let me remind you of Jesus's final words, and then we're going to invite the band back up. Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, I can be, I can be trusted. I can be trusted. And this is why I'm with you, so that you can live out this purpose and help other people to trust in me. I can be trusted, Jesus says. And there are people in our lives who we wish knew this, isn't it? That he can be trusted. And that's our job. That's the job Jesus gave to us, is to demonstrate to them, yeah, there is somebody who can be trusted, and it's Jesus. Can I pray for us, and and we'll sing together in a moment. Father God, um, first of all, I'm so sorry that I've spoken for longer than I should have. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, we, we, um, We are so grateful that you entrusted us with a purpose, that you did not leave us. You didn't just leave us with a legacy and that we were just supposed to blindly follow, but that you gave us a promise that the world's in your hands, that where this is headed is in your hands and that you'll be with us. And then you gave us a purpose to go out and to demonstrate the fact that you are an authority that can be trusted. Would you give us the courage to be people who can demonstrate that to the world, to invite our friends to discover more about it? Help us now to trust that you said, I am telling you the truth. I will be with you every day as you do this, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. Amen.